Hello and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WBFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I'm your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and Florida Statist in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Uh, of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk, and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. We do have Luke Fay on the Twitter handle tonight, so make sure that you give him a shout. Welcome to Tomahawk Talk, everyone. And just like Zion Williamson, we are bursting through our shoes to give you the best show that we possibly can. You know, Too Chris. Soon. <laughs> Too soon. You know, Chris, uh, we've known Luke Fay for quite a while now. We have. And for as long as we've known him, I didn't know, and I learned today, that he's not a fan of ketchup. And I can't say that in my I'm 21 years really? of life, I have ever met a person who does not like ketchup. And I found this out today at Steak and Shake while he got ketchup on his burger, <laughs> and he wiped it all off with a napkin. Wow. wow. Now, slander is not something that we ever pride ourselves on. But Luke Fay, I'm concerned. I just want you to know. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if you saw, uh, but I was looking into the tank, and he just stuck his finger in his mouth like that. It's just not. He's not about it. He's not about ketchup. I did not know that. Uh, well, anyways, we <laughs> do have a great show for you tonight. A lot to chop through, so let's get everything started. What is a captain without his crew? I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host Chris Camacho. How good does Bryce Harper look in Dodger blue to you? Good or darn good? Uh, darn good, I gotta say. <laughs> uh, we keep a G here. Yeah, I, I sort about of sent 60% you sixty percent of the time. I, I send you a text a little earlier that maybe might have used some more coarse language, <laughs> but no, I mean, listen, Bryce Harper's back in the conversation. I'm sorry, the Dodgers are back in the conversation in regards to to possibly getting uh, Bryce Harper, but I don't, I don't think I, I still don't think they're that much in contention. There's room in the outfield, but. The Phillies, I think, are still the four the forerunners for him. How would you like that though? A switch, a for Puig for Harper. Oh, I mean, I think it'd be a great switch when you have AJ Pollock in center field and Bryce Harper in right. I mean, that's a dangerous outfield and and a dangerous uh, batting lineup as well. Absolutely. And joining us tonight, making her Tomahawk Talk debut, Miss Gianna Arantes, and it's your favorite time of year. And I want to hear your best take on your New York Mets. Well. I think that they have a really good chance of taking the NL East if Bryce does not sign back with the Nationals, but I'm pretty sure they're out on him now. Yes, they are. And, um, I mean, I'm scared of the Braves. I'm scared of the Phillies. What if he signs with the Phillies? But, I don't know. I, I hope he goes to the Dodgers for Chris and for my own sake. But um, we made a lot of offseason improvements, uh, fixed a lot of holes, got a new GM, DeGrom's old agent, so I'm optimistic on February 25th. Talk to me again in April. I don't know I'll be able to say the same thing. <laughs> and making his return to the panel tonight, Mr. Finish What You Pay For, Brandon Spencer, <laughs> carrying Luke Fay's intramural basketball team since the beginning of time. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, bud? Um, I'm feeling worn out, to be honest. <laughs> I, like you're coming back it's only February, bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm worn out because of the run and because like, I might have caught this bug that's going around because I feel awful. But I'm here. I'm ready to do the show. Let's get to okay. it. Okay. Uh, we might have to lock down the studio. Chris, get the hazmat suit <laughs> the from hazmat. The, the CD room, yeah. please. Uh, <laughs> Chris we Camacho. Here. Chris Camacho, Gianna Arantes. Brandon Spencer, and once again, I'm your host, Nick Carlisle, back in the driver's seat, and we are starting 
which with Off the Top, which if you didn't already know, is the segment where I take a look at the past week in sports, rip the top stories, and ask our panel about them, forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show. And tonight, technically this isn't news from this past week, so uh, we're cheating a little bit. But uh, this week, <laughs> the NCAA announced a few weekends ago that there will be a college basketball 3v3 all-star tournament that will be played by exclusively seniors that have had outstanding seasons and will not be uh, eligible than that next year. This tournament will be the first of its kind at the collegiate level, and it is set to be kicked off for next year's Final Four in San Antonio, Texas. And the winners of the tournament will receive a $100,000 prize. So a team of four will each get $25,000. Not exactly chump change. Guys, this is a really interesting development for the sport that is college basketball, and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on it, Chris. So you said it's it's $100,000 mm-hmm. for its seniors. For Correct. seniors. These Only businesses. seniors can play. I see. Well, I mean, I wonder if they're trying to incentivize. It's kind of hard to incentivize $25,000 versus a million, like millions of dollars playing in the NBA. When you can leave year one. When you can leave year one, right. Um, I think it's an interesting concept. I think, it, I think it's a great uh, opportunity for seniors uh, who have been there for so long and, and aren't on the NBA stage to show off what they've got. You said it's the top... How many seniors? Uh, well, uh, and how, do well they, how do they make that determination? Well, like that's I, that's, uh, that's to be seen. I'm pretty sure it's just going to be run like an all-star game in any other sport. But it's, 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 I guess, a blanket. The top seniors that year um, gotcha. will be selected to play. I think it's a great opportunity to show off for some guys who, who haven't had that opportunity to move on to the NBA. Brandon? Um, this is the first I'm actually hearing of this. Uh, I so think it's I, so. Very I did a good job of picking a off the top. Yeah, good off the this top is here. very interesting. Um, I think it will be another chance for these seniors that maybe haven't gotten the looks that other players, like the the one and done players, have gotten to showcase their skills once again. Uh, in the half court setting, uh, show that they're able to score, defend. I think it's a good. I think it will be good. It's kind of like a uh, it'll be an example of the in the college football the senior bowl. Mm-hmm. So I think this will be something similar. I think it should be something good. Gianna? Uh, I agree, basically. And also, I mean, at least players are finally going to get some kind of compensation. And seniors like that may not be NBA-bound to be able to do that. So Yeah. yeah. When, when you think about, I guess, some of the main criticisms of college basketball, what are the t- first two that come to mind? One, they don't get paid. Right. Two, they leave too early. Now, I'm not going to say that $100,000 is going to be enough to entice every single player in the free world to stay all four years. But with that being said, I really like this. I really, really like what the the NCAA is trying to do here because, I mean, you'll have four-year seniors that take that extra time who maybe do, you know, pass up that extra money to come and stay another year with their team and go for that championship if that team is good enough. But and Nick, finally, I, I, re- I really think this, this draws into question how how is the NCAA, what sort of precedent is this going to set? Because if you are giving players compensation, even in a tournament setting, like I'm assuming these players are directly getting the 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 payment, correct? Yes. So it's it's like does that then establish okay these are collegiate players who are not going professional, they're still collegiate athletes. Does that then sort of provide? I don't know. Maybe this is the sport law class in me getting to my head, but <laughs> I'm just I'm 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 wondering. Like, well, does for that all the things? well for all the money that these players, without I mean, 
some doubts get under right. the table. Um, I don't I don't really know that it changes anything all that much. Uh, and of course, I'm not the sports law <laughs> aficionado that you well, proclaim I mean, to you, be. But I'm, I'm week I'm week week seven into my sports law. Class. Week seven into a sports law. No, I I think I mean as I said, it's not really going to entice sure. that many players right. to stay. But I think for those that have played the four years, it's really going to be something that. I guess you see you see the 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 sprout or I guess the the roots of the of the growth. One thing that I did uh, I'm reading about right now is that um, the championship team will earn a spot on the 2019. Well, each year they'll earn a spot on the USA Basketball three three on three national championship in May, hmm. and if they get to compete in that, they can then have a chance to play in the Olympics because the Olympics is thinking about introducing the three on three basketball as a medal sport in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So that's another. That's another thing. It, it, it just, I guess, adds to adds to the argument. I, I really think that this is win-win for everybody involved. I think for for whatever it's worth, the NCAA doesn't have to keep hearing, well, these players don't get paid from everybody <laughs> uh, that watches college basketball. And it's it's a nice way to, I guess, give back to the players that have spent so much time not only – um, furthering their careers or furthering their skill sets, but you know, giving so much to the sport. So that was the off the talk segment uh, presented by me, sponsored by me, brought to you by our by panel. Uh, by us too, I guess. Well, thank you for the credit. I, well, I always give you credit. <laughs> yeah. I always give you credit, Chris. Um, so it's been, I want to say it's been a slow week in Seminole sports, but I, I really guess I mean that nothing um, extraordinarily, um, I guess overcomplicatedly interesting really happened. Um, and you, you want to talk about a team that's just steamrolling through everything right now. Um, just a, a quick ad lib here, but women, the softball team is just blowing everybody was out the, of the water. I was at their game yesterday against uh, Samford, Lonnie Alameda's 500th uh, win exactly. as coach of the softball oh, team. Oh, man, you're a little ahead of me. I know. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, this team is really i mean when you when you almost mercy rule somebody in the first inning mm-hmm. i don't care what competition it is that's that's something that's extremely impressive and I'm, I'm i'm gonna check right now but if i'm not mistaken they might have they may have run ruled every team they played this past weekend really yeah they did a total of 15 innings played yeah right Am 50 I, yeah yeah 15? well i hate look it up <laughs> no yeah and um they had 13 runs on Sunday, and it's the first time in program history that the team has scored 10-plus runs in five consecutive games. Wow. Well, yeah, they played five-inning wow. games Friday, Saturday, Sunday in five games. So Gianna coming in with the hot stats, exactly what I called for. Look, and I'm, I'm taking a look at their run differential right now. Y'all ready for this? Insane. 154 to 26. That's <laughs> – Wow. <laughs> uh, and this weekend alone, it was 68 to 4. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> this team is this team yeah. this team is impressive, ladies and gentlemen. Extremely if you have impressive. not uh, gone out and watched, if you have not been paying attention to what these young women have been doing, it's really something special for Florida State. Uh, but we can sit here and gush over how good this team is mm-hmm. for hours and hours and hours. But that's not the most entertaining show. Uh, <laughs> just moving on to women's basketball here. Uh, had a a uh, top twenty five ranked matchup uh, at Miami this past weekend. And it was a it was a peculiar game because Florida State really came out hot in this game. I believe they were up nineteen to nine at one point. Uh, somebody want to correct my my math on that? Feel feel free to do so. But uh, this was uh, what seemed to be 
at least in the first half, was seeming to be of uh, uh, the complete of the sweep of the Miami Hurricanes. It was seeming to be another very good win for Sue Samaro's young basketball team. And then the Miami Hurricanes came storming back in the fourth quarter, scored the first 10 points of that quarter to go up 43-39. And although the, the Seminoles came back with a 15-5 a to run to you know bring it within a couple of points, it just did not uh, fall Florida State's way, Chris. No, and, and honestly, I'm taking a look at the, the turnover points. So they, uh, both Florida State and Miami had 14 turnovers. However, Miami had 21 points off of those 14 turnovers in, comp- in comparison to Florida State's 11 points. Uh, off those turnovers and so it's 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 making those mistakes Miami uh, was able to capitalize on those mistakes um, and taking a look at the points scored in the fourth quarter I mean Miami it was just able to they they came back and they, they stormed back were able to dominate um, it's just it's I think it's just a case of, of Miami being able to take advantage of a young team late in the game Brandon you've been pretty close with this team all year uh, you know players on the team. Where, if you were on this team, where do you? Where would your mindset be after a loss like this? Because this, as much as this team has done this year, you can't really say that they've had many come from behind losses. They've had a couple of come from behind wins, uh, but they haven't really had a loss like this. Where, where's your mindset at if you're on this basketball team? Um, I just think you have to stay confident. Um, one of the things I noticed, I was watching this game, and they just stopped hitting shots like they their shooting percentage was at one point i want to say 27 percent which is pretty terrible but you know when shots are falling shots are falling it's just one of those days uh if i was on this team i would just you know preach to stay confident continue to do what what they're doing and you know play smart i mean you can't have 14 turnovers especially majority of them coming in the second half when you went on those runs but uh, stay confident and continue to do what Coach Sue has preached. I mean, she's taking her teams to you know, the lead eights, to the tournament against these top-ranked teams. I mean, she's been there before. Just follow the system and keep moving forward. Gianna, we've seen this team do a lot this year, as I, as me and Brandon agreed. But uh, what does it say about the fight of this team, you know, to, to receive a blow like that at the beginning of the fourth quarter? You know, give up a, a ten straight points, but then you know, fight back and bring it within a couple of a, a couple of baskets. What does that mean for the fight and and uh, resilience of this team? I mean, I think it just shows a lot of fire in a young team, and it sucks that they lost to an in-state rival like that. I think it was the first time since 2014 in the regular season, and the first time they've lost in Miami since 2012. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it stinks, but they just got to use this to fuel the fire and keep on going. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I've, I, I feel like I've said this so many times on the show, but it's really like this this women's basketball team this year is checking off uh, a metaphorical bucket list of ways to win and win and lose games. Um, as I was saying to you, Brandon, you know, the, the come from behind wins, the blowout wins, the blowout losses. One thing that they haven't had is that come from behind loss. And they having received that um, with two games left in the season, I think that really completes the bucket list of things that a young team needs to develop the way that they should develop and like like Gianna said I mean there's a lot of fire in this team Chris there is a lot of of spunk attitude mm-hmm. just really really I I, I want to say this loss is almost impressive sure in some way would you agree with that? impressed well I'm curious what do you mean impressive impressed in- that the team received a run uh, against them like mm-hmm. that and they were able to fight back and bring it you know within a couple of baskets yeah yeah I mean but I, I think I mean, yes, we understand it's a young on the team. road. It's, yes, on the road. I, I think it's just it's a little, I guess, frustrating. I guess for, for for the team to see them have such a substantial lead and then you know to lose it. But like you said, they've 
they're learning to win and lose in so many different ways. I think it's just it's the give and take of a young team going through the regular season. And I I think the bounce back is going to be huge moving forward because I mean they've lost three of the last four and they could easily lose four in the next five with Syracuse up next. And Syracuse is not you no know, a pushover. This this is a really good team that's playing Notre Dame right now. We'll see how that game ends up turning out. But the Syracuse team can can come out and beat this the our Seminoles at some point uh, when we play them on the 28th so if they don't bounce back they can see themselves dropping lower and lower in the ACC standing so this next game next two games last two games are going to be you know going to say a lot about what this team really is and how they're going to fare during the postseason if you had to pick the game now Gianna what would what would you think would happen are they going to bounce back or is this a trap game for Florida State I think that especially with this loss, you saw some fight trying to get the comeback, but they just couldn't get it done. So I have hope for the next one. Chris? Yeah, I, I think this next game is really going to tell a lot about this team, whether or not they can bounce back from a win like that. Um, I, I could honestly see it going either way. They're playing against the number 17 country, uh, never, against the number 17 team in the country. Um, I think just being able, even, even if it's a loss, seeing how close that loss can be, or if they win, seeing how they're able to maintain and handle themselves in high-pressure situations. It's not only a big game in terms of what it means for the season. It's not only a big game when it comes uh, to terms with the, the caliber of the Syracuse Orange and then the caliber of this team currently and, and how uh, incredible of a matchup, hopefully, it is. Um, but it's also the last home game of the season for Florida State. They end the season on the road at Georgia Tech. Uh, and then, of course... Uh, ACC championships and uh, NCAA tournaments and all that. Chris, where do you see uh, this team ending up? We can talk. We'll definitely talk more about this next week. Uh, they play Georgia Tech on the third, which I believe. Oh, maybe is that the Sunday? Yeah, that is the Sunday. Is so, the Sunday. so it is this week. So, I guess I, I rehash my question and send it back around. Um, we've we talked about how we think, or how at least you guys think it's going to uh, be handled at Syracuse. Is this a one in one situation this week, or do the Seminoles clinch both with, uh, with a win or lose both? What are you feeling? I, I think considering this is a young team, again, as, as much as much hope and potential as I think they have, um, I think they do drop uh, the game against Syracuse. But Georgia Tech is—I mean, they're not a team to write home about, as I've as I've said before. And I I, I think they go one in one this week. Brandon. Uh, I agree. Um, I think Syracuse is a very tough team with uh, good guards and a lot of length. I think they're going to cause a lot of trouble uh, for uh, for the Seminoles this week. And I, I, I think it's just going to be another one of those lessons. Just you know, It's a tough ride through the end of, this, end of the season and going into the postseason. I just think it's going to be a one-on-one, just like Chris said. Gianna? Well, I did just say I think they'd beat Syracuse because I do think that they'll use this Miami loss as fuel. But if they do beat Syracuse, I'm not sure if that hype beating such a high team will help them win, uh, beat Georgia Tech or they might tire themselves out. So I think I'm going to say the same. They'll go one and one. And uh, you heard it here first. It's basically one and ones around the board for the for the last couple of games for uh, the 2019 women's basketball team for Florida State. It's been, uh, I, and I don't mean to be very you know, reflecting already, but it's been a very up and down season for this team. But it's probably been an extremely productive season sure. when things are said and done. Well, hey, uh, I mean, look, definitely. you look at their record right now. They're 21 and six. Even if they end, even if you exactly, yeah, even if, if they end the the season 22 and seven, I I still think that's a very impressive start for such a young team. 
considering all the ups and downs that, as as we've said that they've gone through, um, I, I still think they look. <clears throat> they look. I think they'll fare okay in the ACC tournament. But I mean, in in when it comes time for their March Madness run, it it can really go either way. And speaking of ups and downs, uh, the men <laughs> of the men's basketball team of Florida State are currently uh, in a down as they lost a very very hyped up matchup to North Carolina. Uh, at North Carolina and it was again a game that you know I, I, I said that if Duke beat North Carolina that that earlier in the week that North Carolina would have a serious chance of getting upset mm-hmm. um, as much as you can get upset by uh, another top 25 ranked team right. but this was a game in which Florida State was hanging in there for a long while but eventually uh, and we had to kind of, of do a, a a double look act or a double look act or whatever you might want to call it as we're watching baseball and basketball at the same time in the press box (laughs) at uh, (laughs) Dick Hauser stadium. Uh, But this was a game in which Florida state, eventually the shots that they were shooting to stay in the game just failed to fall. And they really just got left behind. Right. No, it's, (laughs) I think this is, uh, if, if you're looking at their shooting percentage, they shot better from beyond the arc than they did from the field. In general, throughout throughout the entirety of the game, but I, I think this is a game that that just got away from Florida State, and and honestly, if <laughs> you're playing a UNC team in Chapel Hill, coming off a huge, I, I mean, they, I, would you consider their win against Duke a route? Is that, I mean, because they they I would. ran away, they ran I would. away. Well, I mean, we'll talk yeah, about we'll talk about game. this later in the show, but right. I would consider it a route. Right. Uh, but major momentum going and and they have 3 days to rest i as obviously everyone want everyone in Tallahassee wanted Florida State to come away with a win but i think when you go 2 and 1 off of road series i still think that's pretty impressive for this team brandon for a while mg walker seemed to be getting it together and recently it's taken a turn for the worse and he has completely frozen up uh like Rose and Jack on the Titanic. Um, oh, man. <laughs> it has been quite cold from three-point land for Mr. Walker. Uh, he only shot four, but um, he missed every single shot in this game, as he's done in a couple of games this season. I, I, I'm going to ask you to play just a kind of a doctor for MJ Walker and <laughs> whatever La- Leonard Hamilton decides to do with him. What What needs to happen? At this point, it's all in his head. Um, he, I'm looking at his stats of his last four games right now. Uh, Wake Forest, he was 0 for 4 for the game. Uh, Georgia Tech, 4 for 9. Clemson, 2 for 5. North Carolina, 0 for 7. I mean, it's starting. It seems like that he he's not only um, not making his shots, but he's taking a lot fewer, and that has a lot to do with his head. I don't think he's very confident in the shot right now. I think what he needs to do is get in the gym, uh, put keep putting hundreds and hundreds of shots up. Uh, and just get his get comfortable with shooting the ball again because he doesn't look very comfortable right now. He looks like he's forcing things, and when you're not shooting the ball, you're not confident. That's the worst thing you can do is force shots. And I, I just think he needs to he needs to just change his approach and just become more confident in his shot in his game. Uh, and Gianna, you can weigh on in this too. Is it is it more of a lack of confidence, or do you think it's more of frustration, or or is it literally just a bet the best combination of the both? 
Uh, I honestly think it's a combination of the both, and I think that's a problem for the whole team, especially during this UNC game. Uh, so Kevin Galley took five shots, Terrence Mann took six, Phil Kofer took six, and yeah, like you said, MJ Walker didn't make a single field goal the entire game. Uh, they played pretty poor offensively, and uh, I don't know. UNC has a great defense, but they missed a ton of wide-open shots, and they were trying too hard for the three, and they just couldn't get there. And just this this Tar Heels team is just so incredible at passing. I mean, Florida State, as good as the defense has been this year for the most part, uh, North Carolina just had the defenders for Florida State running around. It seemed like at sometimes lots Threading of— so many needles. So many needles, just beautiful passing on the side of the Tar Heels. And I think it, just the offensive rebounds just as well. Well, just, and of course, such a great offensive rebounding team that just wore down. I'm I really am a fan, uh, uh, and I say it, don't twist <laughs> the words. I'm really a fan of North Carolina this year. I think I think that's a Final Four team for sure. <laughs> and it and oh, that was like a hmm. No, no, no. Uh, that was like a <laughs> that was okay. like a oh okay. All right. Um, <laughs> 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 I, here here I am trying to uh, gauge uh, the groans of Christopher like Camacho. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's all a metaphor. It's all a metaphor. So would you say, Chris, that the three-point shooting just as a blanket is what Florida State should focus on this next week? Uh, honestly, I I don't I don't think so. Really? Because, because the truth of the matter is if you can't score in the paint, because obviously, I, I and I think that's one of the big things that Greg Popovich has talked about as 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 a as an enemy of the three-point shot, we'll say, is is teams become too reliant on trying to make these big shots. And I think that's what Gianna was talking about is yeah. they were trying way too hard to make all these three point shots. And while, while we shot better from beyond the arc, I think if you, again, if you become too reliant on that, then you miss a lot of, a lot of shots in the paint. And it, it's, it's about, it's about accumulating those smaller points, those smaller point shots, I guess. And that, that can, that can lead to a greater point value, I guess, for lack of a better term but i think if you become too reliant on the three you miss the fundamentals of the game i think if you're looking for one positive and one negative to take away from this game for florida state the one positive is terrence Mann is undoubtedly uh ascended to the throne of being the full leader that i think he had the potential to be he struggled in the middle of the season uh he didn't seem to have that same that same swagger that same poise that he does now I think Terrence Mann has really turned it around quite nicely for this basketball team, and the score would have been a lot worse if he didn't have the game that he did. He only shot the ball six times, uh, scored four of those, two from three-point range, uh, four rebounds, six assists, one steal, one block. Just a great all-around game uh, for the senior, probably one of his last big rivalry games. Uh, as much as you can call North Carolina and Florida State a rivalry game, well, but it's ACC. I, it is ACC. It, it's it's very uh, very very competitive. But mm -hmm. you know, I don't. I think even a casual basketball fan would uh, be able to tell you that. But if you're looking for a negative, and and you kind of hinted towards it, Chris, I think Roy Williams and the North Carolina Tar Heels just showed you what happens when you take away the inside game for Florida State. And it's not necessarily the fact that, well, sometimes your three-point shot just doesn't fall. Especially in the case of this team, this is this is the, the product of what happens when uh, Kamaji, when you try to run the uh, the Chris Kamaji offense and it's just <laughs> not working. Cabin Gelly can't do what he can offensively. And, you know, when you're really just circling around the three-point arc trying to do pick and roll and Terrence Mann is making these gorgeous moves to get to the basket and that's about all your offense is, you're not really going to win many games. And in fact, uh, Chris Kamaji wears a size 17. 
Really? True. I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay. Jeez Louise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I heard that from Chuck Forrest. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, it doesn't help also that uh, Fiondu, he couldn't stay out of foul trouble in that game. That's when we struggled the most and when we have uh, when he gets a foul trouble and he's out for long periods of time because we can't establish that inside game. And after that, you know, with Trent, you no, know, he's playing through injury. Terrence is finally, you know, healthy, which is why his swagger and the way he's playing has been helping us. But without that, we're just playing, trying to play hero ball and shooting, you know, prayers from the outside that are not dropping. So. That are true prayers. True yeah. prayers. And I'm gonna, and I'm not entirely sure that Phil Kofer is. 100% healthy anywhere either as he's been having a, cuff, a tough excuse me, uh, couple of games. We are at the halfway point, actually just a little bit over it, so we are going to take a 90-second break, and then it's going to be the time-honored tradition, the seminal segment with Matt po- uh, Povtak. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Down by the dark sits the man Good evening, Tallahassee. This is Matt Povtak with your seminal segment. Florida State Women's Beach Volleyball closed out the State Capitol Invitational Sunday with a pair of wins. The Seminoles earned a ranked win against number 9 South Carolina and swept Tampa to close out the Invitational. Freshman Kate Privett and junior Molly McBain were dominant as they clinched every one of the Seminoles' wins this weekend. Sarah Putt and Peyton Caffrey were also a force to be reckoned with as the two went 4-0 at the number four position. The Knolls finished the weekend with a 20-5 pairs record and will return to action next weekend at FAU's Burrow Bash, where they will face off with UAB, LSU, South Carolina, and FAU. With a 13-1 victory over Samford on Sunday, FSU women's softball coach Lonnie Alameda notched her 500th win as the Seminoles coach. She notches the landmark win in her 11th season as the FSU skipper. The Knowles jumped on Samford early, scoring seven runs in the first first inning, including a three-run blast to left center from Danny Morgan, her fourth home run of the season. Florida State's Megan King was dominant on the mound, allowing just one hit and one earned run in three innings with one walk and one strikeout. The number one ranked Knowles moved to 17-0 on the season, 
Combined with their six victories to finish the 2018 season, they now have won 23 consecutive games. The 13 runs scored on Sunday marks the first time in program history that the Seminoles have scored 10-plus runs in five consecutive games. The Seminoles head on the road to the, for the next 10 games, beginning with the UCF Invitational on March 2nd, where they will face off with Toledo, Louisiana Tech, Dartmouth, and the host school, UCF, over a span of three days in Orlando. That's all for Seminole segment. This is Matt Povtak. Now back to Tomahawk Talk with Nick and Chris. Thank you so much, Matt. That was truly fantastic. Fantastic job on the time-honored tradition here at uh, WVFS Tallahassee and Tomahawk Talk, the seminal segment. So on the other side of the break, we left you talking about some of the positives, uh, the few positive, and the, the negatives coming out of the North Carolina game for Florida State. They are playing against Notre Dame right now where they are currently down by four with about three and a yeah, half left to play. Yeah, but going into the break, they were down by ten. That's, I mean, it's six points, but. Six points. Well, ESPN is telling me four points right now. Oh, oh you, were, no, I'm you, saying, were, you were saying sorry. beforehand. They tacked okay. on six points. They tacked on six points. Uh, disaster averted. Um, <laughs> and this is, uh, this is, I mean, it's still early. There's still an entire, you know, half of basketball left to play. But Notre Dame is a team that Florida State should, all, for all intents and purposes, beat. Well, I think Notre Dame has been a team in basketball, honestly, in just about any sport we play that has, that <laughs> tends to give Florida State trouble. So, I mean, this is a game that I that going into it, I was still a little weary about. But like you said, there's a whole other half uh, where Florida State's not too far behind. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, if you if you're looking, uh, I mean, Notre Dame is having a, almost an unconscious game from behind the arc. They're six for twelve from three point range. Uh, meanwhile, um, Florida State is two for seven. Uh, 28.6%. And, well, we knew if there's anything that the uh, the, the conversation before the break, uh, if, you, if you were going to take one point away from that, it's that Florida State three-point shooting. Yeah, use some work <laughs> um, at best. But speaking of the Notre Dame game, that is the first game of the last four that the Florida State Seminoles do play this season. They do play NC State this Saturday at home, which is going to be a tougher game than a lot of people think, I, I do believe. And then they have another game against number 20, currently ranked number 20, uh, Virginia Tech. I believe that's on the following Tuesday. And then uh, they finish out the season at Wake Forest on the 9th of March. So just looking at the road ahead and trying not to look at the score as it is right now, Brandon, where do you see this team ending up uh, as the season ends? Um, I actually see them ending up as maybe a fifth or a sixth seed in the tournament, uh, in the national tournament. Um, I see them uh, winning maybe one or two games in the ACC tournament. I see them probably dropping into quarters or the semis. And then come tournament time, I see us being – at best, we're a Final Four team. If we can pull it all together, everybody's healthy, everybody plays at the highest level. And at worst, I can see is dropping in the round of 32. Round of Ooh. 32. All right, Chris? I, am I giving a whole no- Nostradamus speech? Like <laughs> oh, well, just well, well, I, well Brandon, Brandon is a basketball aficionado, That's... so I, I don't know if you can do quite as well as he is. But I know I, we just, will play just... basketball, and um, <laughs> we will do our very best. Go team. Just, just general thoughts on the end of the season <laughs> for Florida State. Well, I mean, taking a look at, at what the remainder of the season has in store, um, NC State, I think, is a team uh, – not a team to be taken for granted, but I think it's a team that Florida State can pull a win out without much hesitation. Virginia Tech gives me some pause. Um, 
and Wake Forest, I mean, I, I, I don't see much hesitation there either. So I can see, at worst, consider, including the Notre Dame game, uh, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna have us ending the season three and one. Three and one, Gianna. If if any of these games are must-win games, which ones would those be, or are they all individually? Do you think collectively must-win games? Um, I don't think they're all must-win games. I mean, we want to win all of them. I think we definitely should take NC State, especially if they lose tonight. We're at home. Mm-hmm. There's no reason they can't beat them. Like Chris said, I'm kind of worried. Excuse me. Kind of worried about Virginia Tech, but I think they should go four and zero or three and one if they're going to lose to Virginia Tech. But they're at home again, so I don't know. Yeah, home, home. I guess home court advantage is definitely in Florida State's favor to end the season. Uh, keep you up. We'll give you an update on the the Notre Dame Florida State score uh, towards the end of the show. But we do have to move on to quite possibly. Well, I mean, I guess softball still takes the cake when it comes to impressive Florida State teams, but. <laughs> Florida State baseball has also been extremely impressive in the couple of series that they've played thus far this season. They have had a couple of games canceled, one against Jacksonville, um, and then they did have the Sunday game against Youngstown. Young, excuse me, Youngstown State. Say that five times <laughs> fast. Uh, <laughs> that Sunday game was canceled well, no, or postponed as yeah. well. It was moved to. It was moved Saturday. Saturday. It was. Oh, they did play the double hundred. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. All right, All right. that's gonna be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sebastian, can we just edit that out real quick? <laughs> I'm talking to you in post. Um, that's funny because you were there for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was trying to watch the basketball game at the same time, Listen, Brandon. You were there. And with Nick and baseball, that really just means he was watching the basketball game. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, Sebastian, we're just gonna chuck uh, just take out a whole full minute of the show yeah anyways uh <laughs> can't do that uh chris how are you feeling i mean obviously i think you'd be feeling pretty good about the men's team or the the men's team the baseball team thus far in the season what what can you say that has not already been said about robbie martin and the way that he's played well i mean acc player of the week i honestly can't say i'm surprised I, florida state baseball the, their twitter account actually put out uh some stats on Robbie Martin, um, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. However, he is within the top ten of several offensive categories. I think it's just a really impressive show. Oh, Gianna's got it? Yeah, so in seven games, he led in RBIs with 17, so that's third most in the ACC. He was fifth in the ACC with five doubles and sixth in the ACC with 15 hits. That's, I mean, just over this weekend. Right. For a freshman. Well, not only for a freshman, uh, for a freshman that, as Mike Martin has told us on a couple of occasions, a freshman that was respected as a baseball player but not actively sought out to the degree that his his caliber has proven to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that undoubtedly one of the biggest questions entering the baseball season, as we said last week, Chris, is how these freshmen were going to perform. This is a younger team when all things are said and done, but Elijah Cabell, uh, Robbie Martin, Matthew Nelson. Matthew Nelson has had a couple of uh, iffy at-bats at the plate, but he's come in clutch when the team has needed him to. I- I'm just extremely impressed by this this right. team. I-, I will say, listen, uh, of course, all the accolades are well-deserved. However, and as excited I am for this baseball team, you got to look at who they've played. In that Absolutely. It's Youngstown State and Maine. Um, I-, I mean, granted, you can't put up 24 runs on – 
on any I mean that, that's that's an extremely tough well thing yeah to do. if there was ever a time for the <laughs> NCAA to consider a mercy rule yeah. uh, implementation <laughs> I think that might have been it and you know that game was ended in seven games or excuse me seven innings so you could say that uh, more or less that's what happened but right no and 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 speaking to the youth Gianna actually I, I read your recap before coming here uh you you spoke to I mean the the freshman had a huge game in that 24 to two win. It was, I think, three freshmen had their first home runs of the season. Do you, you got it? Yeah. Uh, so Martin DeSatis and Elijah Cabell all homered. It was Martin's first one. But Martin's not, first. Not oh, DeSatis right. or Cabell. There was 16 RBIs from freshmen. And, yeah, in that game, uh, Robbie Martin went seven for eight. He had eight RBI, three doubles in his first career home run. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, this kid is ridiculous. Anytime you can bat over 500, you're doing something special. And uh, one stat that I got, we heard in the booth, uh, is that uh, when the bases are loaded this season, he is five of seven. Wow. Crazy. Which, which is ridiculous. Like, mm -hmm. this kid is almost automatic when he comes in, comes into play, and that's something special. They're all hitting hitting, hitting pretty well. Um, but he's definitely taking the cake with being our most you know, solidified hitter and most consistent. And although, although, you know, Chris, of course, mentioned the level of competition isn't exactly anything world-beating. In fact, it's, it's a little bit subpar to that. But – uh, I think it's just important to note that this team is about as excited about what they've been able to do thus far in the season as we are. Uh, I th I was able to sit down with Mike Salvatore uh, after the second game of the uh, the doubleheader, and he's, he he was speaking volumes about you know how much he thinks these freshmen are a fit for this baseball team for the the cornerstones that they already had in place. Yeah. But with that being said. Pitching has proven to be, if you're looking for a negative, it's been one of the negatives that you would have seen if you've been watching uh, Florida State baseball um, over the past couple of weeks. And the one name that really uh, comes to mind is Austin Pollock and how he has struggled uh, mightily the first couple of games this season. He just has not been able to miss many bats, to put it, to put it lightly. And he was pulled very, very early in the second game of the doubleheader. Chris, what what does he have to do to get back on track? I mean, it's it, it, you know it's only been two starts, it's only been two outings, outings, but it seems that something's just missing. I, I think a lot of it is it, it's a mental game, and, and especially for pitchers. When when it comes to pitching, it's it's how can you battle against adversity? And I'd like to think that actually, honestly, I think pitching has been has been a strong point for this team, with the exception of guys. Like Austin Pollock, I th he actually has the worst ERA on the team right now. Mm -hmm. um, he's given up two walks. He's got five hits, uh, and, and I will say, he does have of his, of the five runs he's given up, only two of them are earned, which speaks to errors that have happened defensively. So, while he may not be at his best, it doesn't seem like fielding wise he's getting the same help uh, that maybe other pitchers are getting. But it, it's it's about mentality and and how can you stay in the game I, I i think austin he he just needs more outings he's only got 3.2 innings pitched so far so right and i should and i should amend the statement i when i said 
pitching as a negative, I meant starting pitching because, quite oh. frankly, the, the bullpen has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clayton Kukowski has come in and he's put in a couple of really solid outings. Uh, exp- I think especially in the games that the two games that Florida State trailed thus far this season, he came in and gave two or three solid innings and he was able to uh, get the, the game back on track for the Knolls. Brandon, what can you say about Matthew Nelson? Uh, he obviously has not had the best plate uh, appearances thus far, but he has really come in clutch for this team, and he seems to have that clutch gene. He had a nice sacrifice bunt to tie the game mm-hmm. this past weekend. He did hit the game winning. I, mean, I don't think it was a sack fly, I believe, uh, well, in, it's, in, it's, in the main series. It's funny because you're talking about a clutch gene, but his batting average is, is zero. Well, he does. No, no, no. But, uh, but like, yes, he, he has come in clutch in the sense that he, he's had those sacrifice plays. And that, and I mean, admittedly, the ability to sacrifice yourself for the sake of the team, that still speaks volumes to somebody as, as, as a batter, as a team member. Um, but I just think it's kind of funny that his batting average is zero in, in 10 at bats. I just I don't I don't just look at the batting average, Chris. Yes, I look, I, I look I at the overall. That. I mean, from what I'm seeing, his <laughs> batting average is a, a one three three. But I mean, that is still it still doesn't help, but it's still very low. But I'm just saying. But yes, like you were saying, he he's been he's been very helpful, very confident in terms in times where we really need him. So I mean, he's played five games. He hasn't played every game, but in the times that he's played and the opportunities that he's gotten to make plays for us, he has. Yes, he still needs to build his confidence and you know, get you know, more associated to the game so he can be more consistent as a hitter. But in terms of his uh, moxie, I would say, he has it. And I think that's going to help him as the season goes on. And excuse me, sorry, I just wanted to clarify because I'm, I'm looking at the stat sheet from Seminoles.com. It's wrong. It's, it's wrong. So, and, and you did oh. tell me before the show to, to get the updated one on set broadcast. So that's, <laughs> that is my bad, Nick. All right, Sebastian, uh, you're doing double duty tonight. Yeah. We're going to edit out another 30 seconds of the show and post. Uh, thank God this is live. <laughs> but with that all being said, um, this being a Mike Martin coach team, uh, always very disciplined at the at the at the at the plate. Uh, and just looking at the the stats right now, Drew Mendoza has drawn 14 walks thus far this season, and that's a lot of walking. Because um, they know what he can do. Because you know what he can do. Um, but uh, strikeouts have been a little bit of an issue, especially for Elijah Cabell. But, you know, I think that's most of it is mm-hmm. really him just being a young player trying to swing for the fences. But Gianna, overall, if not saying anything that needs to be fixed, of course, but if there was one thing that you could point to that maybe you would say, oh, I think that needs to see a little bit of tweaking, what would that thing be if there is anything at all? Um, well, definitely the strikeouts. Um, I'm pretty sure they've been leaving a lot of runners on base. So that's another thing they can work on. But honestly, as of right now, they look great. Like you said, they beat up on Maine. They beat up on Youngstown State. Um, there's not that much of uh, something to reference, but there's not much else I could say towards that. So <clears throat> we've gone through all the Florida State sports, and we said we'd talk about it later in the show, and now comes that time. Uh, the Duke versus North Carolina basketball game, uh, the the – implosion of uh, the imploding rather of uh, Zion Williamson shoe of course it's never it's never funny to see somebody get injured but when the president the former president of the United States goes oh my gosh he went through his shoe uh, <laughs> that's something that you don't really see every single Him day and his but bomber jacket also like took off yeah it was interesting I'm really happy that Side I didn't note. pay uh, two thousand dollars to see 
40 seconds of Zion oh Williamson. 33 uh, seconds. 33 seconds. <laughs> More or less. Um, <laughs> but looking at this game overall, uh, and this is a question for all of you to, 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 to um, weigh in on, what, what is the significance of this game to you? Personally, of the the Duke North Carolina the Duke, game, Duke North, Duke North Carolina game. Uh, I think it it shows that Duke is almost nothing without Zion. Uh, just how much they, because I, I, I don't know the exact stats for for points in the paint, but I I mean, without Zion there to to block anybody from jamming it to the rim, it was it was a field day for North Carolina. And, the, and that and that was something that you saw when uh, the the Duke Florida State game when Zion left with uh, that his eye issues when mm-hmm. he got poked in the eye. Um, that Florida State really just kind of had free access to the rim, and that's really what uh, catapulted them to stay uh, so close in that game and, you know, of course, almost win it. Brandon, how do you feel about this Duke-North Carolina matchup? Um, I think it's not something that we should really um, pay much attention to just because that um, the Zion injury. I think, for one, it caught not only us viewers off guard, but the Duke team in general messed up the whole game plan. And I think at that point they were just scrapping to make up for his loss. And because of that, you know, a lot of guys were missing shots. A lot of guys were trying to force things where they shouldn't have been. I mean, if you look at it, RJ and Cam scored 60 of the 72 points that, no, Duke put up that game. Those guys came to play. Everybody else didn't. Trey Jones struggled. Um the the bigs that they had struggled the guards they have coming off the bench struggled I mean it it was it wasn't something that we we really should you know look at and be like oh wow like they they got blown out no I think the next time they play uh which is I, I want to say it's coming up it's the ninth like a week it's yeah. the ninth okay so next time they play I think it's gonna be a whole different game uh they said Zion is day to day he's not playing tomorrow but they expect him to play the following game and I think that will be the game that you know aside all right this is the type of team that Duke is or not. But just basing it off of this game where, you know, he went out, like, in the weirdest way possible, I don't think you should. they should look at it very much. Gianna? I agree. I was looking at the same thing. They essentially had nine points off the bench, which is insane that uh, R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish scored 60 of their 72 points. I think that they were caught off guard, and I think – if we know anything, um, Coach K is going to get in their brains and say, you guys can't win without Zion. You got to get it done. And they're kind of going to use this huge loss against their biggest rival to come back. And when did he say he'll be back? In two games? Uh, well, he's day-to-day, but he's day-to-day. they play North Carolina again on the 9th of March. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like he'll be back for that, and he'll definitely be back for the tournament. So I, I wouldn't be worried about it. Now, Chris, you said that you know, it it was a it was a pretty big deal, Brandon. That you said it wasn't necessarily a big deal. I'm kind of somewhere in, on the middle on it. I do think that there is weight to this loss. I do think, while yes, the Zion injury and him being taken out of the game so early was extremely rattling for the rest of Duke, but I wouldn't say that that necessarily makes them nothing without him. So I disagree with you uh, in in that sense because, as as Brandon said. Reddish and Barrett put in, what was it, 60 points? 60. 60 points. 33 and 27, respectively. So I wouldn't say that they're nothing without Zion. I just say that they play a different type of basketball without him, and that's a very selfish type of basketball, which is essentially what you saw. Now, you can't help it when, you know, uh, players like O'Connell are missing open threes in the corner. You can't help that. Nobody can help that. But 
what the body language and the type of offense that they were running without Zion on the floor was really indicative of some very selfish basketball. And I think that can really be exploited. And although, you know, it was, it was, it was seemingly exploited uh, by North Carolina, you know, Duke has already bounced back. They are, they already beat Syracuse at the carrier dome. That was a huge game for them. Yeah, I was just about to get into that. And, mm-hmm. you know, they Coach K has has already gotten into their brains, as, as Gianna said, and really whipped them back up to his shape. Now, you can say, well, there was already something going into that game anyways because Syracuse did beat Duke at Cameron Indoor. So, you know, there might have been extra motivation going into that by itself. But they did seem okay without Zion in that game. And that's the thing. That's what's going to get into that. Um, they played the first time against Syracuse without Trey Jones. Struggled. Lost. This time they played without, no, in that game as well, he got hurt in the middle of the game. It wasn't before, it wasn't, no, it was known that before that game started, he wasn't going to play, and also Cam Reddish didn't play that game. So it it seems that when players go down in the middle of games and they're not able to change the game plan, that's when they struggle. Going into the Syracuse game, they knew they were going to be without Zion. So they planned accordingly. They played well. They had great play off the bench. I mean, uh, I want to say O'Connell, he scored 20 points off the bench, which is ridiculous. And one thing I had against them, I think that would be one thing that would hurt them, is going to be R.J. Barrett, because at times he does play very selfishly. I remember in the Gonzaga game, he cost them, I believe he cost them the game because he went to the basket three times in a row, got a shot blocked twice, and forced up a crazy one on one of them instead of passing to the open people. Well, but as of late, he's been shooting efficiently. He's been scoring the ball like very, very well. He was 14-20 and 20 against Syracuse and had 30 points. But but that trait, I think, still stays within those players because sure. I a, a play that just keeps replaying in my mind uh, when it comes to the Duke-North Carolina game is a situation in which uh, Barrett had – uh, the ball at the three-point line past the elbow, and he gave a pump fake, and he actually got the defender in the air, and somebody was wide open in the corner. He faked the pass to him, and he just took it right back and took a shot with the guy's hand in his face. And I think that it is that 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 player quality of saying, well, okay, I just know I have all the talent in the world. I don't have to play as a team is something that is still very prevalent in Duke, whether they want to admit it or not, whether it's it's evident at more times than it is not. It's a trait that's still there, and I think that it is something that can come back, and I think it will come back to give them an early exit out of the tournament. I don't think they're going to win this entire thing. I don't know how the rest of you feel. Are you uh, talking about Duke? Duke? Duke, yeah. I I think I think they have the, I think Tennessee is the best team in the country, and I think Duke is the most talented team, and I just think that if they can all get it going, and they just I think it all depends on Cam Reddish and Trey Jones. Brandon, you just made Clint very happy. Right now, I hope. You I, I know. <laughs> I definitely know that because I mean, they, they really are. I mean, they're the most experienced. They have a lot of talent. No, I agree. They, they've they had, play they've great had, defense. They've had a couple of, of losses here and there, but this is a team that I think is extremely strong. Yeah, uh, definitely this, Final Four team. This team is going to go as far as Trey Jones and Cam Reddish takes them because if these guys aren't playing, you no, know, efficiently or playing um, smart with the ball, then this Duke team is not the same team because you know you're going to get what you're going to get out of RJ and Zion, but when those two show up, they are unbeatable in my opinion. Gianna, how do you feel about it? I feel the same. I think that they could win it all. I feel like they'll definitely go to the Final Four just because they have so much talent, but it just depends on how disciplined they stay and how selfish they are with the ball. We have about two minutes left in the show, and uh, I promise that if we had time, 
Uh, I promised to Chris, as I usually <laughs> promised to Chris, that we would talk about some baseball. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> like a kid on Christmas uh, <laughs> rushing into the <laughs> – hey, we're talking about baseball, Dad. Um, so one ship has already fallen in, yes. in the, the very, very slow uh, baseball free agency. Manny Machado signed a 10-year, uh, $300 million uh, deal to go play in San Diego. Now, I said on the show last week that Bryce Harper was going to go to San Diego. I uh, got the location, but I did not get the player. But I will take half on that. Uh, Chris, Gianna, Brandon, how are you feeling about the move uh, with Machado to San Diego? Also, where do you think this leaves Bryce Harper in, this, in, in things? I think it's a great pickup for San Diego. Um, I think it makes them more competitive in the NOS. And honestly, I'm excited as a Dodger fan because I think it'll make – the NL West more exci- a more exciting division to watch in general. San Diego already has the best farm system in the major leagues, um, and honestly, I I think people should start getting scared of the Padres. Scared of the Padres, Gianna? I completely agree. Uh, like you said, they have the best farm system, and they have Eric Hosmer, um, Ian Kinsler. Now they have Fernando Tatis Jr., mm-hmm. and they're gonna have Manny at third. I really think um, that the NL West should be scared of them, especially the Dodgers. But I'm excited for them, too, especially because it's not my division. So. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm a Cubs fan, so, I mean, we don't have much to worry about with the Padres. But I just think they're they a very, very, very dangerous team. And I think he, I mean, he just went where the money was. I mean, it was simple as that. I mean, you can't say no to 300 million i'm scared to see what bryce harper's contract is gonna look <laughs> yeah, like. yeah. I, I think that means that his might be a little bigger i've heard i've heard anywhere from 350 to 330 i'm sorry 330 to 350 yes yeah, i've heard too i think it'll i think it'll bounce something let's say 340 but where is he getting that 340 million really quick before we end the show the phillies uh, the phillies phillies uh, dodgers uh, or maybe um, the giants maybe the i i honestly could see him in the giants I just, I just think that'd be really boring. But what I'm reading, yeah. but what I've been seeing, I think the Phillies have the best chance yeah. of picking him up. And that is the end of this episode of Tomahawk Talk. That is the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all so much for tuning in and spending this time with us. Uh, you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. For Chris, for Brandon, for Gianna, for Luke in the booth, I'm your host, or have been your host, Nick Carlisle. New release is up next. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>